Well, good morning, happy new year, and whatever other salutation you would prefer thrown your way. Uh, we are so glad that you are here today, starting off your new year right, right here at Grumlaw Church. Uh, if you are new around here, or perhaps you maybe stepped away for a season and, and now you're back, uh, I want to commend you on your impeccable timing as today we are kicking off a brand new series titled Better. And, and to say that I am just a little excited about this series would kind of be the understatement of the year, all, all two days of it. I, in fact, have never been as excited for a season uh, for this specific church community as I am right now. That there, there truly is this holy anticipation for what God is going to do between now and Easter. And, and I've been praying that God is going to use this series in particular to shake up faith in a way that this faith community that Grumlaw has truly never seen before. Uh, have y'all ever had someone try to sell you on something or, or maybe even someone that, that as the very words were coming out of their mouth, it, it almost felt like blasphemous? I know that sounds probably like a very, very random question, so allow me to explain or maybe even give an example or two. Uh, for most of my adult life, um, I have been an, an avid Diet Mountain Dew drinker. I'm not a coffee guy. I like the smell of coffee, don't like the taste. In fact, I don't really like hot drinks in general. So, so the source of my energy in the morning is, is Diet Mountain Dew rather than like, you know, a nice warm cup of coffee. Mountain Dew recently, they released Mountain Dew Zero. And, and a lot of wild claims were being thrown around. They're like, hey, it's just as good as the original, maybe even better. I had friends telling me it was better than Diet Mountain Dew. It, it seemed a little bit far-fetched because as far as I was concerned, Diet Mountain Dew is the greatest soda that has ever been introduced. But then I actually tried it. And I'm not embarrassed to admit to all of you that I have switched teams. I, I am a Mountain Dew Zero man. Gone are the days of Diet Mountain Dew as the staple soda in my life. Or, or how about this? I, I want to show you something actually that is sort of the bane of my existence. You ready for this? I'm talking about this. The, these green, nasty texts. I'm not going to lie. If I send you a text and it is thus revealed you're using an Android device, that there is definitely some questioning going on in my head regarding your life choices. Or maybe you take it from the opposite side. I, I see those Samsung Galaxy commercials taking some shots at the iPhone, or maybe every once in a while there'll be someone in my life that'll try to explain to me why Android really is better. And, and the only thing going through my head is not a chance. No, ain't no way I'm being the pariah mucking up all those group texts with those nasty green text messages. I, I mean, how are you all even FaceTiming each other? Skype, seriously? You can go update your MySpace page while you're at it? No thanks. Or, or I remember as a kid, there was a serious debate going on regarding Sega versus Nintendo. For, for instance, I, I remember when the N64 came out and, and yet all these people trying to tell you it was better than the Sega Genesis. And I'm like, hold up, hold up. You trying to tell me that there's something better than Mortal Kombat, right? Like, get over here. Now, listen, I, I know some of you right now, you're, you're kind of judging my parents. You're like, your parents let you, you play Mortal Kombat? No, this was played in the recesses of friends' basements under the cover of night where all forms of debauchery were happening, like watching SpongeBob SquarePants as well. You're trying to tell me that it's better than NHL 94? I mean, look at these high-def graphics. Or how about the ultimate? You're trying to tell me it's better than NBA? A jam, he's on fire. I mean, some real wars between neighborhood kids were ignited over this conversation, Sega versus Nintendo. And, and, and let's be honest, most of the time, 
When someone's trying to convince you that something or someone is, is better than something or someone you already hold in pretty high esteem, it, it usually ends up falling short. It, it ends up being completely overstated. Just another instance of someone trying to hype something up so that the inevitable letdown doesn't feel quite as dramatic. So with that kind of overarching thought in mind, I want to direct our attention to a passage of Scripture that we find in the book of John. This is one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. John is one of these guys who spent virtually every waking moment with Jesus during his time on earth. He had a front row seat to the entire earthly ministry of Jesus. And here in John chapter 16, verse 7, he records some of the very words of Jesus for us. There it says, Jesus talking, I am telling you the truth. It is better, it is better for you that I go away, that I leave, that I depart this earth. Because if I do not go, the helper, other translations read the advocate, other translations read the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I do go away, if I do leave, then I will send him to you. Now, a little bit of context here regarding what we just read. Jesus is, is about to leave this earth. He, he's about to be gone out of the disciples' lives. Now, now, he only lived on this earth for about 33 years, and most of that time was actually spent in relative anonymity until he kind of kicked off his earthly ministry at just under the age of 30, about 29 years old, when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And in that moment, he received the Holy Spirit. We're gonna talk a whole lot more about that later on in this series. That then shortly thereafter, he's tested in the wilderness by Satan for 40 days. Again, we're gonna talk more on that later. And then comes his first miracle where he turns water into wine at a wedding celebration. In this event, it kind of kicks off his public ministry. And it's in fact that event that kind of puts Jesus on the map. That the public attention very much begins to steer his direction because again, I guess if you turn a bunch of water into wine, apparently that grabs a lot of people's attention. So, so then it's kind of this three and a half year whirlwind where Jesus is regularly communicating to public audiences. He was an incredibly captivating teacher. He, he taught with this authority that people had never seen before. That the religious people were just looking at this going like, where is he getting this information from? He, he's healing people left and right. He's casting evil spirits out of people. As weird as that might sound, evil spirits are still very much present in our world today. Again, I'm gonna keep on saying this in this first part especially, more on that a little bit later in this series. He's calming storms, he's walking on water, he's feeding massive crowds of people, countless miracles, countless teachings, and he has firmly grabbed the attention of the public as a whole. Him and his disciples are the most popular show on earth. And all the while, he's leaving these breadcrumbs that he's not going to be around for very long. That, that, that eventually, he's actually going to be put to death by religious people. But, but don't worry, he's not going to stay dead for long. He's going to rise from the grave and in turn basically fulfill every prophecy ever written about him within the Jewish scriptures. So, so, so now we fast forward. And, and this three and a half year public ministry is quickly coming to an end seemingly ending as quickly as it started. The disciples, they're still emotionally recovering from the fact that a guy, their friend, their savior has just successfully predicted his own death and resurrection. I mean, he actually pulled that off. But, but, but I want you real quick to try to put yourself in their shoes for a second. In, in a matter of days, they, they have went from absolute shock, horror. I, I mean, they cannot believe that their friend 
This individual they have invested so much time with, he's actually dead? He was actually just put to death on a cross? And as you can imagine, as you would have been, they were absolutely devastated. Not just at the loss of, of their friend in such a brutal way, but because of how Jesus taught, because of everything he said, Christianity was firmly attached to him. If there is no Jesus, there is no movement. It's over. And very quickly, that, that shifts, and they're, they're terrified. Because if Jesus was just put to death by religious men because of the things that he was saying, what's going to happen to them when everybody figures out that they have been spending so much time with Jesus? They are fearing for their lives. But they're certainly disillusioned. Because again, they actually thought it was happening. They thought that the Messiah had arrived, but the Messiah can't die. Everything they once thought they believed has just been absolutely shattered. But then a couple days later, some women come running up to him and they say, we've seen him. He actually did it. He has risen from the grave. But because they hadn't seen it with their own eyes, there's disbelief. They're going, you're out of your mind. You saw a ghost. You saw a vision. You, you, you imagined it. There's no way that, that somebody actually rose from the grave. That, that just can't happen. There's no precedent for that. But then they come face to face with Jesus in the flesh. And they're awestruck. <laughs> they, they cannot believe that the guy who they had spent the better part of three and a half years with has actually just predicted his own death, predicted his own resurrection, and then actually pulled that off. And so you better believe that they are rejuvenated. They are ready to take on the world because the Messiah is by their side. He is back to life. They are ready to take over the world. But then Jesus tells them, by the way, I'm leaving. Wait, what? Jesus, you can't leave now. Did you have any idea what, what you standing here means to us? Do you know what this means to the world? Do you know what this is going to mean to all of Jerusalem? I mean, shoot, not just Jerusalem, like everywhere. Can you imagine the look on those stupid Pharisees' faces when they see you strolling on into the temple? Come on, oh no, Jesus, you gotta give us that moment. You can't leave now. We're just getting started. And Jesus in this moment, unfortunately, we don't have a play-by-play of his, his facial expressions, but I think he probably smirks. And he says to himself, maybe even says it out loud, exactly. Jesus, you can't leave now. We're just getting started. Exactly. This whole movement is just getting started. You guys haven't seen anything yet, which is why I'm telling you the truth. It's better. It's better for you that I go away because if I don't go, the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And I can promise you, those disciples, those men who had spent so much time with Jesus in the flesh, they were collectively thinking, not a chance. 
I, I mean, seriously, think of how preposterous this would have sounded. The disciples were thinking, just as every single one of us would have been thinking, what could possibly be better than God in the flesh hanging out with us every waking hour of every single day? Jesus, we don't know who this helper is, but but we'd like to pass. In fact, we actually just took a quick vote. We all decided we'd rather you just stay and hang out with us. The old helper, he can just kind of sit tight. Just as you have thought at so many different points in your life, that they were thinking, they were asking, what could possibly be better than this? I know you're telling me the N64 is great, but come on, there's no way it's better than the Genesis. I know the new chicken sandwich at Popeye's is pretty tasty, but you're trying to tell me it's better than Chick-fil-A? Come on, get out of here. Jesus, we don't doubt that this helper that you speak of is a pretty good guy, whoever he is, but, but seriously, better, better, than having you hanging out with us every day? There's just no way. What could possibly be better than this? But here's what Jesus knew. If he stayed on this earth, his influence would be limited. His presence would be limited to one place at one time. And that's kind of a problem because, well, (laughs) Jesus died and rose from the grave for everyone, including you, you who are watching right now. We we actually say this all the time around here. He he would have died for you if it was just you. He he died just as much for you as he did for anyone else. See, see, with Jesus, the playing field has been completely leveled. No favorites, no, no religious hierarchical system, just sinful people all in need of a savior, all with an equal shot at redemption through the work of Jesus on the cross. See, Jesus didn't have simply regional intentions for this movement that we would now refer to as Christianity, as as we all now know. He, He became flesh, he died for our sins, and then rose from the grave so that everyone might have the opportunity to be made right with God. In fact, this was one of the main things that got Jesus killed. He kept on emphasizing that this new that he was ushering in was for everyone, not just God's chosen people, not just the Israelites, the people to whom much of that Old Testament, that first half of the Bible is directed to. With the resurrection of Jesus, there was a resurrection of faith. With the resurrection of Jesus, Israel was no longer the sole possessor of the title God's people. Jesus is for everyone. He made it painstakingly clear that anyone, that everyone who puts their trust, who puts their faith in him, will have that right standing with God restored. It's precisely why Paul gives us these words in his early letter to the Christian church in Ephesus. He says, it is by God's grace, by God's grace that you have been saved through faith saved because of your trust in Jesus. It is not the result of your own efforts. You've done nothing to deserve this, but it is God's gift so that no one, no one can boast about it. Listen, if you're just kind of starting to explore all of this, maybe you're coming back after a Christmas service because it kind of piqued your interest. The Christian faith, you need to know this, the Christian faith does not center around a book. The Christian faith does not center around a list of commands. It centers around a person. Jesus is the center of our faith. And so if this this message was 
going to reach quite literally everyone, the Holy Spirit had, had to be sent. Whereas Jesus was limited to the immediate people he came in contact with, that those restrictions, they don't apply to the Holy Spirit. And it's precisely why Jesus actually says it's going to be better than I'm leaving you. Now, for a couple of minutes here, I'm going to jump into a quick sidebar, take a quick detour to dive into some theological concepts that I honestly normally wouldn't address here on a Sunday morning, but I think it's really, really important that if we're going to really gain a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, we understand this stuff. First, it's important we at least have an elementary understanding of the Trinity, that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three fully God, while also being three distinct persons. We're going to dive into a lot more detail on this particular point next week, but each member of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is a person manifested in different ways. So around here at Grumlaw, we worship the one, the true God, who has always been the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is eternal, meaning he has always existed, he has always been. And this right here is really the central tenet of the triune God that you need to understand, where we draw most of our understanding about the Trinity from. God, don't miss this, God has made himself known. He has revealed himself to us by the Father sending the Son and sending the Holy Spirit to us. I'm gonna say that one more time. God has made himself known. He has revealed himself to us by the Father sending the Son and sending the Holy Spirit to us. And for some of you, you're thinking, well, that doesn't really seem like you're explaining the Trinity. But that's only because there's this assumption that when we're explaining the Trinity, it has to be this strange, ethereal answer that we've never heard before. When in reality, you only really need to understand that the Father sent the Son and sent the Holy Spirit and all three are God. Now, I might be the only one asking this question, uh, but I remember this being a bit of a sticking point for me as I really began to dive into Scripture and understand the Holy Spirit at a deeper level. So, so I'm hoping this is maybe going to at least be helpful to, I don't know, a couple of you. A, a very, very appropriate question that might be surfacing in some of your heads right now would be, why did Jesus have to leave in order for the Holy Spirit to be sent? Well, why couldn't they kind of like, I don't know, coexist? But by the way, these types of questions you should be asking. It, it is okay to ask prodding questions just like this one, because so often Christians, we get baited into thinking that Christianity is just blind faith. It's not. It's an extremely defendable faith. And because, unfortunately, religious institutions have been so hostile for so long towards questions like this, Christians were often afraid to even ask questions like these. But, but I'm telling you, this is a really, really good question, and here's why. God knew what we all actually know. For, for, for as long as Jesus was in the flesh, walking and strolling around this earth, Christianity would have very much taken a go-and-see-for-yourself approach. Meaning, rather than followers of Jesus actually having a true faith in a resurrected Jesus, as is so often worded in Christian circles, to be justified by faith, the, the disciples, along with all the other followers, they would have basically just shrugged their shoulders and said, hey, you don't believe me, I don't care, go take a look for yourself. He's standing right over there. The, the Christian faith would have been built upon those who went and checked out Jesus for themselves. In, in other words, there, there would have been no faith actually being demonstrated, and the influence of Jesus would have been immediately reduced to those who Jesus came in immediate contact with. There would be nothing to believe or not believe. There would only be proof that everyone would just go check out for themselves. 
So, so there would be no justification by faith. By Jesus leaving, immediately the show and tell component, it's removed. That Their faith will actually be exercised. And the scene is ripe for the Holy Spirit to be sent. No longer is this movement going to be restricted to the people who are able to come face to face with Jesus. No, the floodgates are about to be opened wide because the Holy Spirit is about to be released upon all people, all people who put their faith in Jesus. In other words, God isn't just dwelling amongst some of us, what was happening with Jesus. God now dwells with all of us. He's a part of every follower of Jesus. This is undeniably better. God as spirit, no limitations. As a follower of Jesus, everywhere you go, the spirit, God himself goes as well. See, one of the things that Jesus said right before he departed this earth, I mean, these might have actually been his final words to his followers. He said, hey, I will be with you always, even until the end of the world. (laughs) I'm telling you, if you're one of the disciples, you have to be thinking, I mean, Jesus, come on, didn't you just get done trying to convince us that (laughs) it's going to be better that that you have to leave, which seems like a stretch to say the least, but now you're telling us you're going to be with us always till the end of the world? Jesus, I don't know if you've realized this, you don't make a lot of sense sometimes, that this is very, very confusing. But but see, these weren't just words for those early followers. This is a promise for us. When Jesus said, I, I will be with you always, he wasn't talking about God in the flesh. He wasn't talking about himself. He wasn't talking about Jesus. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. See, none of us are going to have the chance to hang out with God in the flesh, a a chance to hang out with Jesus this side of, of eternity. But we all have access to God in the spirit, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit. That is better. But, but, but even as I say that, and, and here's really the rub, the, the, the tension that's, that's serving as the catalyst for this entire series. You, you can almost feel the disbelief as I say those words. Because let's be honest, for most of you, that just hasn't been your experience. Even for those of you who've been at the part of this church thing for your entire life, many of you would actually admit that you've never experienced the Holy Spirit's presence or action in your life. And church, that is tragic. And I promise that I don't say that as an indictment on any of you. In fact, I actually think most of the blame lies on institutions like this. Places like Grumlaw and people like me, I'm certainly not exempt. As as Francis Chan puts it, it's a tragic neglect of the Holy Spirit. Rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit, most churches are filled with self-focused consumers who, who have reduced these gatherings to little more than going to the movies on Sunday mornings. Church, when you read about the early Christian church, I mean, let's just use those, those early disciples as just one example. I mean, they're a bunch of uneducated tradesmen who after the, the death of Jesus, they completely abandoned the movement like a bunch of cowards. But before we know it, <laughs> they're on the front lines, willing to be put to death. Many of them would be put to death for their faith in Jesus. So, so what changed? Sure, seeing your resurrected Savior, that's going to help do the trick. But, but more than that, they were empowered 
by the Holy Spirit, able to look imminent death in the eye and say, we don't care, oh well. Because God literally dwells within them. Can we think of anything that is causing Satan more glee than supposed followers of Jesus completely ignoring the Holy Spirit? Conversely, is there anything that would send Satan into more of a tailspin, into more of a panic than the church, the big C church, the collective followers of Jesus completely operating in obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit? I would argue that this is the primary reason why we are seeing so many people walk away from the Christian church, in particular in first world countries like America, at such a rapid rate. So many are sensing that something is missing, but it's not a something. It's a someone. It's God in spirit, the Holy Spirit. Without him, people, Christians, we operate in our own strength and we only accomplish human-sized results. We give people this message of, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Now, now cross your fingers, try harder to stop sinning. And when you inevitably fail, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just try again. Church, none of us, none of us were ever created to accomplish all that God has in store for us by our own power. It's only possible with the indwelling, the constant, the regular presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And for some of you, and... I'll certainly admit that I I fell into this category for way too long, but because of the conservative church environment you grew up in, this whole conversation, the idea that we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for six weeks straight, that freaks you out. And for others of you, it Again, you're just starting to explore. It just, it just sounds kind of strange, but, but I'm begging all of you to lean into this conversation. But because I'm confident that most of our deepest yearnings, our deepest longings, our heart desires are found within a deep and intimate relationship with God in the Spirit. That, that, that most of us, even as maybe we've been at this church thing for years, we, we still feel like something's missing. And again, it's because we're missing that someone. Church, I'm admitting to all of you that this is a really, really, really intimidating series to prepare for. And and even as your pastor, I am readily admitting to all of you that that I have so much to learn. I have so much to still figure out. Even actually as I wrote this very message that I'm giving right now, the Holy Spirit was teaching and revealing so much to me. But as I said earlier, I don't think I have ever been more excited for a season. I have never had more of a holy anticipation for what God is going to do in this church community. And it's not because I've crafted some really interesting messages. It's because I'm expectant for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Church, when Jesus followers live in the power of the Spirit, The evidence in their lives is supernatural. The the church can't help but be different. And the world cannot help but notice. Undeniably better. Church, I am so incredibly excited (laughs) to go on this journey with all of you.